But I'll just say it. It was just another reminder about how we're fasting. And, and uh, the fast is it's something that is new to a lot of people. I've been talking to people at Nashville Life over the past 10 years. There's a handful of things that um, I believe are very uh, foundational about the faith that depending on your background or depending what was taught, um, there's always a few things that most people at Nashville Life say they had never really done much of before, didn't really know about. And fasting is one of those things. So I never want to take for granted when we do a fast that people know what that is. And uh, fasting is something that is it's biblical. It's something that Jesus expects of his disciples. Um, it's something that he teaches and talks about. And it's, uh, it's a very effective discipline. Whenever you fast, it's, it's a way of, of limiting uh, things that bring your flesh, your natural being, comfort. And we can rely on those things. And those things are fine in, a, in its proper place. I'm not saying it's bad to enjoy food and to enjoy things that your, your, your natural being likes. But fasting is when you set those things aside for a very specific purpose. And it's to increase your spiritual fervor. It's to be able to create an environment for yourself where you're able to hear and obey God with less restraint. Um, the Bible makes it very clear that um, our spirit has opposition when it comes to obeying the Lord. And one of those oppositions um, is our flesh, our, our natural uh, desires and our natural passions can really get in the way of us hearing from God and obeying God. And fasting really uh, is an opportunity to, to, to crucify that opposition, to, to limit the power of that opposition so that we are more available, more committed, and uh, it's just, it, it just increases your awareness of God. I can tell you firsthand this past week alone, um, though, yes, you do sacrifice some sleep having to be here at 530 in the morning, at least me, to make sure the doors are open and the, the lights are on for when you all show up at 6. But also just even the things I'm used to eating, uh, though those sacrifices are very much real, um, what I've been gaining has really outweighed what I've been giving up. Uh, the awareness that I have of God, the sensitivity I have to his spirit, uh, the access I believe that I'm experiencing to his joy and his peace and his perspective, which you all know perspective is everything, right? Like to be able to see things from a perspective that, that makes you hopeful, confident, and clear. Uh, so I, I couldn't recommend it more. We've got two more weeks, like Pastor Marion said. It's not, it's not too late. Um, so that was what basically what the video was. It was probably a little bit shorter than what I just did, but hey, we're here. Um, my name is Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I serve as lead pastor here at the church. And it is uh, week two of this 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I want to speak more on it. Uh, we started last week talking um, about uh, how it's important to pray first. And that's really the, the name of this series, Pray First. Most of us all have uh, experiences praying to God, but I'm really trying to get our church to move prayer from being uh, an option to your first option. Uh, too often times it's, it's kind of, you know, once you tried everything, then you go, oh God, you got to help me. I think we could really shift that in our lives to where that's the first thing we go to whenever we are facing anything, whether it's something that we need help in or something that we just want, anything that we're doing. We're going to talk more about it. It says on all occasions we should be praying. And, and I want to help give you guys some tools so that I'm not just telling you that you need to do it, but I'm equipping you and giving you the resources and the support so that you can feel confident in doing it. Um, let's, before we go into it, repeat these words after me if you can. Say, uh, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Well, like I said, pray first. Um, this is a great prayer guide. We have virtual copies and we have uh, physical copies for you during these 21 days. Um, like I said, we always want to make sure we're supporting you guys also on our website 
And if you text 21 fast, there's uh, tips on how to Daniel fast. That's the fast we're inviting you all to. Um, please pick one of these up before you leave at the Next Steps booth behind uh, me in the lobby. And I'm actually going to be teaching from one of the parts in this book. It's written by uh, Pastor Chris Hodges, who pastors uh, Church of the Highlands. It's an awesome ministry in Birmingham. They've got all kinds of locations all over Alabama um, and lots of churches that they lead and inspire, including Nashville Life. Pastor Chris has become one of my mentors, and he's, he's a pastor to me, and uh, I really owe so much to what he and his team have done for me and our church. But this is one of the ways that they help us, and the Pray First series is something that they're doing as well, and there's thousands of pastors um, all around the country Definitely hundreds. I'm probably, probably right at a 1,000 of churches that are doing this Pray First series as well. So we're kind of syncing up with the body of Christ all around the country for the month of January uh, through this Pray First series. So please pick one of these up, and let's get into it. Let's get into it. I'm going to start with Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 19. Some of you guys are familiar with this. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, this isn't on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 6 18 through 19, Paul tells us to pray at all times. And this is really a, a, a concept that I want you all to get today because oftentimes most of us, those of us who have a prayer life and who have a prayer discipline, um, there's a lot of emphasis in the, the, like the morning prayer time and really having, some people call it quiet time. And that, that, that's, that's good. But I also want to present to you an alternative. And that is instead of putting all your prayer in the morning, I think we should pray in the morning. We should pray. That's the first thing we should do in the day. I think we should address God. But instead of packing everything on the front end of the day, uh, how about praying to God little prayers throughout the whole day? You know what I'm saying? This, this is a way that you can keep a connection with him the whole day opposed to really only having to draw from what you invest in the morning. Now, don't get me wrong. The beginning is important. I talked about it last Sunday. You should dedicate time. to God. That should be the first thing you do because it sets the tone for the rest of your day. But this scripture is presenting something even on top of your early morning quiet time or prayer time before you go to work. But what if you learned how to interact with God at work or on your lunch break or when you're taking the kids to school or, or dropping the kids off at, at, at uh, practice, you know, different things throughout the day, going to the grocery store. What if you found little ways to have dialogue with God and, and this way would definitely bring his presence even more into your life throughout the day? Um, one translation in Ephesians 6 says, pray at all times with all kinds of prayers, which means there's a lot of different kinds of prayers. There's, there's times where you're praying for yourself. There's times where you're praying for the nation. There's times where you're praying for your spouse. There's times where you are just worshiping God and praising him. That's prayer. There's times where you're asking God for things. There's times where God is speaking to you, which is prayer as well. Prayer is dialogue with God. It's a conversation. It's not just you talking to him, but it's you allowing him to talk to you. So the word says pray at all times and pray all kinds of prayers. And today I want to share with you a kind of prayer that I believe will uh, really enhance your experience with God. I think it's going to make you enjoy it more. I believe it's going to be more productive in your life. And I think it's going to achieve more than just the duty of making sure that you do it. And I'm, I've definitely been someone who's prayed out of duty before. It's like, I know I need to do it. Let me cross. Okay, cool. I prayed. Let me go on with my day. I believe that there's more that you can get out of prayer than just crossing it off of your checkbox. I believe that you can actually have an encounter with the creator of the universe on a daily basis in a way that enhances everything about who you are, everything about what you do and how you see. Uh, 
The pattern that I want to show with you is, is, is kind of introduced in the Old Testament. Many of you all are familiar with the story of Moses and how he led the Israelites out of Egypt and they traveled through Egypt and then they were in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, which was where the wilderness area is, and they moved into what we now call the nation of Israel, but at that time it was called the Promised Land. But before they reached the Promised Land, they had kind of got stuck for about 40 years. It was, pretty, it was a pretty big stuck for 40 years, and, and during this time, uh, they were trying to find their way to the promised land. And they, they still had to continue in their customs, in their rituals, in their traditions, in their faith. And one of the things a part of the Israel's faith, the Jewish faith was, what faith was worshiping in the temple. And they would have a temple. They had a stationary temple back when they were in Egypt. And they had the situation now where they weren't in a stationary place. They were on the road. They were moving on a daily, monthly basis. So they had to find a way to worship God in a portable way. They basically had to build a portable church where they could worship God on the go. And it had to be a type of situation where, unlike the temple, it was something that they could pack up and move, you know, a few miles down the, the path on their way to the promised land. Uh, in Exodus chapter 25, we see God give Moses the instructions of, of how they would do this. It says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. I want to make sure I emphasize that motive. God wants to live among us. Exodus 25. Now, I think that should be on, on the screen. Exodus 25. It says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. That is a motive that I want you all to understand that God has. Ever since Old Testament and today, the Lord wants to live among us. He wants to be involved with your life. He wants to actually partner with you and be intimately involved with your life, which is why I said let's move our prayer from just being one time of the day to throughout the day because God wants to live and dwell along with your life. So he had the same motive today as he had back then, and that's why he said build me something where I can be in the mix of what you guys are doing. He says you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. So God is telling Moses, I'm going to show you a pattern of how to build my tabernacle so I can live among you. And that pattern is what I want to share with you all that I think applies to us today. Now, before I go further, you'll see that there's a lot of difference in the Old Testament versus the New. We are not subjected to the law of the Old Testament, the rules and regulations that were so detailed in the Old Testament. However, the patterns and the principles in the Old Testament are very much still relevant and applicable in the New Testament. And it's important for you to have teaching and an understanding so that, yes, though we are uh, not living exactly the way or at all like the way that they lived under the law. We can't throw out, throw out the valuable principles and the patterns that are still much alive in the New Testament church. And this pattern is something that I think if you take heed to it, it's going to revolutionize your prayer life. Um, the tabernacle prayer is what we're going to call this. The, the patterns that it took to build the tabernacle, I believe we'll see patterns that should be a part of our everyday prayer life. Um, I think I have a photo of the tabernacle that would be built. This is a, a drawing of what a taber the tabernacle may have looked like during the travel from Egypt to the Promised Land. It had no roof over it in the outer courts. It was a, sort of a fence wall, and then there was opening gates, and then you see six pieces of furniture. It was a progressional uh, road that was marked by a piece of furniture and each piece of furniture there was a significant step that was made all before you reached the ultimate which is the holy of holies which is the intimate place where you got to see God and meet God um, the outer courts is the first part I want to talk about the outer courts is this part 
where, uh, if you could put the screen back, that's before you got to that burning thing. When you first entered into the gates of this tabernacle, that was the outer courts. And the outer courts is where we give thanks. When we first enter into the tabernacle, when we first enter the presence of God, the first thing that we do is we give thanks. Before we ask for anything, before we pray for anybody, even before we pray for people to get saved, even if it's the best thing, before you ask or ask for anything from God, the first thing we do when we enter is to give thanks. Psalms 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now that is something that I believe that leadership at Nashville Life, we've done a pretty good job at, at instilling that into our church culture. Most people, if you've been at Nashville Life long enough, you've learned by now that the first thing we're doing out the gate is we're thanking God. We're praising him. That's the first thing we're doing. That's why we even build our services this way. What's the first thing you experience if you're here at 9 o'clock? If you're here by 9 o'clock is you hear us giving thanks. You hear us singing to the Lord and praising and offering our, our praise to God. That's, that's jump. That's from jump. That's the first thing that we do. Um, and that's what was happening there, the outer courts. That's, that's the place of thanksgiving, and that's a, thanks, that's a place of praise. I, I, it's not just ritual. There's actually, there's actually significance in giving thanks to God. Um, gratitude is one of the healthiest emotions that a person can have. And when you give thanks, it stirs up the, the, uh, the feeling and the spirit and even the emotion of gratitude. And gratitude is powerful. You want to know what gratitude does, which is why the enemy fights us so hard at, at, at giving thanks to God and being thankful. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. Gratitude turns what you have into enough. And it's so important to set the tone before you even ask God for anything. When you start off with thanksgiving and when you come out the gate with praising God, you have gratitude and, you're, and, and the spirit tells your mind and your soul and your emotions that you're okay. You're actually more than okay. You have so much more. It reminds you of all that you already have. And yes, it doesn't mean that you still won't have requests, but requesting things from God from a place of contentment is totally different than asking God for things from a place of anxiety and panic and, and lack. And there's too many of us where we're, we're, it's, God is saying, bring your request to him, but it's important that even prior to the request that you understand that I am blessed even prior to you giving me what I'm about to ask for. And gratitude is the only thing that makes that a reality. If you don't give thanks first, you, you come to God, you're more vulnerable to come to God like he owes you something. You're more than likely to come to God with resentment and bitterness in your heart. You're more than likely to come to God and bring your requests with a bone to pick with him. Um, when you give thanks first, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm all, you've already done so much. And it just changes the entire tone of your request. It changes the entire vibe of the encounter with God when you realize that I am already blessed. And then I'm asking you to do this. And it, it, it's, it just, it's, it's a blessing. It's the way God designed it. And I believe that's how we should start off, giving thanks. Um, so I try to do this every day. And I, I'm, I am faithful. This is one thing I do know that I do consistently and that's I start off giving God thanks I'm like God thank you for for my house Lord I try to think of fresh things because of course there's his mercy and there's his grace amen but I also try to get you know create thank you for my car thank you for my wife thank you for thank you for the thing thank you for my friends thank you for I thank God that I was like thank you for my youth thank you Lord that I'm still young thank you that I'm you know I'm I've got talent thank you Lord that thank I, I thank God for these things and it, you get specific I really encourage y'all get Please graduate from the trite general stuff that anybody could say. Make it tailor-made to you. Thank you. Thank you for that free coffee that I got yesterday. Thank you for that, you know, whatever the things, like, start thinking of fresh things. It will change your life. It'll change your attitude. It'll change the way you see God. It'll change the way you see your life. It'll change the way you see all that you have and where you are in life. I can't recommend it more. I can't tell you how powerful Thanksgiving is. 
That's first. So you come out the gate with that. Number two is the brazen altar. There was this brazen altar. That's the next piece of furniture that you would see when you walk in. And this was the place where they would sacrifice the animals. So you would smell, likely every time you came into the tabernacle, once you entered, you would smell, and it's kind of, kind of sad, but you, you would smell burning animals. You would, and you would see their blood on the handles of this altar. On the altar handles, there would be blood. And that was to remind you that though you're coming to God, your sins still have to be paid for. Every human, every human being that came into the tabernacle had sin in their life. And that brazen altar was a reminder that, yes, you have access, but it's not for free. Your sins have to be paid for. And that goat that you see burning is because of your sin. That blood that you see of that bull is because of your sin. And it was a reminder to each person that something had to be sacrificed for you to be here. So praise God, we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats and animals anymore. But every time we come to God, we have to understand that a payment had to be made for you to be talking to God right now. Which is why we should always acknowledge the cross. The brazen altar section of prayer, after you give God thanks, you acknowledge, the, you focus on the cross. You acknowledge that the blood of Jesus had to be shed for you to have access to God the Father. Your sins, if it wasn't for the blood, you would literally die in the presence of God because he's perfect and he can't mix with sin. And when anyone with sin would approach God, they would die. So our sins were covered because of the blood of Jesus. So every time you come to God, don't go too far without saying thank you for the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood. I love songs about the blood. We just sang a couple songs about the cross and the blood of Jesus. That's not just to do. That's to remind us that something had to be paid for. And something had to be paid for you to be able to be in the presence of God. Um, Psalms 103 2 through 5, Psalms 103, 2 through 5 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So it's important for us to not forget that our sins are forgiven, to not forget that there was a blood sacrifice on the cross of Calvary that has made your sins forgiven. We can't ever forget that when we come to the Lord in prayer. The third thing that we saw after you passed through the brazen altar, there was what they call a laver. And it was a huge tub of water. It was this huge container of water. And it was where they would wash. They would wash their hands and they'd wash their arms before they went further into the presence of God. But there was something else cool about the laver that you can't see here. And the bottom of the laver, laver was a mirror. So you couldn't go and wash without seeing your reflection. And, and it was a way of almost reminding yourself that that of who you are and, and that you need to be cleansed. So you would look, imagine before you come any further, you'd have to look down and see yourself and then there'd be a place where you could wash. And the labor was a place for washing. You could see your condition and you could see that you need to be cleansed. And once you acknowledge the cross, once you acknowledge that you're forgiven, I believe the next best thing to do is to talk to God about who you are and your condition. Acknowledge what's really going on in your life. Talk to him about your emotions. Talk to him about your attitude. Talk to him about your habits. Really present yourself to God. Present yourself, and, your, and, and yourself doesn't just mean yourself. It means your condition. It means your state of mind. This is the time to be honest with God. This is the time to really bear it all before God. You've thanked him. You've acknowledged the cross. Now you talk to God about what's really going on in you, the things that need to be, and not the things that need to be cleansed, the things that are not right with him, the things that are not the way they should be. And these things, this time is not meant to embarrass you or to content, condemn you, but it's meant to give you a chance to get clean, to make things right. Uh, I think uh, we don't realize that that time of God is a time for sanctification. It's a time for us to be pure, to be purified and to be purged. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So part of worshiping God is offering yourself to him, presenting your heart conditioned to him, and allowing him to have access to those parts of your life that need to be cleansed, that part, the parts of your life that need to be corrected, the parts of your life that need to be addressed, the habits in your life that are hurting you and hurting others, the attitudes that are really diminishing the quality of your life. It's important to, to have a space in your prayer time where you're acknowledging these things. These are the things that we repent of. I go, Lord, I repent. I ask you to forgive me for this and the time I did this and yesterday I answered in this way and I should have answered like this and I, I skipped this and I, Lord, forgive me. That's, when you're, that's where you're honest with God and you offer yourself to him. Lord, make me pure and holy so that you can be, uh, so I can be of, of use to you. Um, offer my tongue. Help me to say the right things. Offer my eyes. Help me to see things the way you do. I offer you my ears. Help me to hear your voice. I offer you my hands. Help me to be of help and of service to others. I offer my feet. Order my steps, Lord, so I don't go the wrong way. Help me to go the right way that you call me to do. This is that time of the labor. This is the time of presenting yourself and allowing him to redirect and cleanse and address things that need to be helped. The fourth thing you saw after you passed the laver, you saw the candlesticks, which was like a, menor like a menorah, and it was always lit. There was always oil, and it stayed lit. And if you look in Scripture, the fire always represents the Holy Spirit. This is the time in the candlestick where you invite the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're at the time after you've presented yourself to God and asked you, after you've repented and you've asked him to cleanse you, then that's when you say, Holy Spirit, I need your fire. I need your help. I need your power in my life. I need you to equip me with what I need for today. I need you to give me the wisdom that I need, Holy Spirit. That's where you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life. This was a smaller tent, and it was, it was lit by, by these candlesticks. And all throughout Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is represented by fire. So this is where we ask the Spirit. He enables us to, to say no to the wrong things. The Holy Spirit guides us into the right things. The Holy Spirit empowers us with gifts and to, to help others. This is the time where we ask God for his spiritual gifts, Lord, give me the power of discernment. Give me the power of wisdom. Give me the gifts of, of being able to, to, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We have to ask for the Holy Spirit to be involved in our lives. If we want to see him really help us, you got to ask for it. And every time you come to God in prayer, you should. You should ask for the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 6 through 7 it says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Some say a sound mind. You have to fan the flame. A lot of us take for granted that since the Holy Spirit's with me, he's just going to work. But the Bible is trying to give you insight of what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit takes the same maintenance that a fire, a campfire does. It's a fire. And, when, and anyone who's been camping before, you know you just don't leave the fire. If, not if you want it to keep burning. If you want the fire to keep burning, you have to do things to make sure it stays. You have to put logs on it. You have to fan it. You have to find things to make sure that fire sustains. And there's been too many people who've been missing that analogy, and they receive the Holy Spirit at age 17. And then by the time they're 35, they're weak sauce, and they don't realize why they're so weak, but because they have not been fanning the flame. And maybe because no one told them the importance, or, or I don't know, I, I, I want to. Sometimes it's because no one told you. And for that, I'm glad you're here today. 
you have, even though the Holy Spirit is God, he's a flame that has to be fanned. You have to find ways to keep that fire stoked if you want, if you want it to burn. Now, if you want it to die out, keep doing what you're doing. But if you would like for the fire of God to continue to burn, you have to do the work of continuing to fan it intentionally every day. Again, if you want the fire of God to continue to burn in your life, please do not be ignorant to the maintenance that is required. You've got to fan this thing if you want it to continue to be active and hot in your life. And it's important for it to be hot because the Bible says that the fervent prayers of the righteous avail much. A lot of times we just say, Lord, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. That's not the full scripture. It says the fervent prayers. Fervent means energy. It means hot boiling over. That's how it translates. The Bible says it's the red hot boiling energy prayers of the righteous that availeth much. So when you pray, we got to pray with energy. We got to pray with fire. That's if we want it to be effective. Now, if we just want to be religious Christians that do our rituals and have no change in our life, then that's one thing. But I don't think y'all are here for I don't think y'all want that. I don't think y'all are here because y'all want just some boring mundane, like powerless life in Jesus. I believe you're here because you want change in your life and you want change in our world. And if I'm right about that, I'm telling you how to get it. You got to keep your fire. You got to keep your prayers fervent. You got to keep it boiling. You got to make sure that you're doing what it takes to keep it hot because it's the hot prayers of the righteous that availeth much. Much things happen when you are hot, when you're on fire. Things happen that when you're hot that don't happen happen when you're cold. You can't cook steak on a cold fire. You can't bake bread on cold coals. There's got to be some heat for transformation to happen, to get that char, to get that flavor, for the fat to break down. You need heat. And the Bible goes just like it works with cooking, it works with your faith. If you don't have heat, nothing's cooking. If there's no heat in your life, nothing is cooking. And there's too many of us with, with raw meat, with raw meat on our plate going, hey, guys, y'all want to eat this? Like, no, I don't want to eat that. If you want change, if you want transformation, the Bible says the fervent prayers of the righteous makes change. And if you want fire, the Holy Spirit says, I'm here, but you got to fan me. You got to keep it stoked. See how practical God is? Like, he really is. He's, he's practical. The same ways so many of the principles that we apply to real life apply to God. After the fire, after the candles, the next part was the shoe bread. The shoe bread was the place they would bake fresh bread in the tabernacle. And you would actually smell, you know, have you ever been where y'all smelling bread after it was just made or like in a bakery? Apparently, in the tabernacle, once you got past the candlelight, then you would start smelling the aroma of, of shoe bread. They would actually bake fresh bread in the tabernacle, and you would smell the fresh bread. And that's the photos, and you would, you would, you would partake in, in, in bread, and, and the scent of it was, was very alluring. I don't know if you guys, I mean, especially on a Daniel fast, <laughs> I've been smelling bread everywhere. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is that a croissant? Is that a bagel? Is that a muffin? It, it entices you. The bread, the, the bread, the shoe bread, it had this aroma that, that drew them in further to the next step. And we all know because we say it every day, every Sunday before the word of God, before that we preach, the word of God is the what? Bread of life. So the shoe bread is where we claim the promises in God's word. I believe that in your prayer time, there should be some time referring to God's word or reading God's word. That's the bread. That's your bread. That's the shoe bread, the word of God. Allowing, and honestly, that's where God can speak to you. The word of God, that's the aroma. That's the fresh bread. That's the nutrients that keeps us moving. Jesus answered them in Matthew 4, 4. It is written, Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone. 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is our daily bread. We pray, give us this day our what? That's God's word. You need his word every day. You need a scripture from him. You need an instruction from him. You need an affirmation from him. You need a correction from him. You need a word from him if you want to sustain in this faith. You need his word more than you need the bread that you have to have every day. You need a word. You need the bread of life. That's if you want your life to stay alive in the spirit. You've got to allow God to speak to you via his word. I want to give one more plug for the word of God, and that's in Ephesians 6. And I won't read the whole thing, but it's it's talking about the armor of God. Um, And if you notice, all the armor that Paul tells us to put on are defensive armor. The breastplate, that's to guard your heart. The belt, that's to keep the, your, the truth around you. The, the feet have to be protected and shod. The helmet, that's to protect your head. The only offensive weapon that, that Paul tells us to suit up with is the Word of God. The Bible is an offensive weapon against our enemy. Guys, we all have an enemy that is just as, passion, just as passionate as the Lord is about seeing us free. The enemy has passion to make sure that we stay in chains. And he plays mind games and he twists truth and he, he manipulates and he distorts things to get your mind in a place to where you're no longer strong. So we need to have the word of God to fight back. When the enemy comes to us with manipulative things and distorted truths like he did with Jesus in the wilderness, we're able to fight back with the word of God and bring him truth that will make him tremble and flee. So the word of God is so important. And that was a part of the, the, shoe, the shoe bread section of the t- tabernacle um, really does represent bread. And for us, the bread is the God's word. The last thing that you, not the last thing, the next thing that you would see was the altar of incense. So after you smelt the bread, you would go a little bit further, and then you smelt incense burning. And every time you see scripture referred to incense, it's about worship. So though we're not, I'm not saying to light incense, but I am saying your worship is a a symbolic of, of incense when you worship God. Now, now... Some of y'all might go, well, we already praised God in the beginning. Well, praise and worship aren't necessarily the same thing, which is why one is called praise and the other is worship. Praise is thanking God for what he's done. You're declaring the works. You made the seas. You made the the mountains. God, you created this. You healed me of my disease. And we're, we're praising him for his mighty works. Worship is where it's about who God is. It's less about what he's doing and what he's done, and it's simply who he is. God, you are Alpha. You are Omega. You are the Counselor. You are the Father. You are the One. You are the Lover of my soul. You are the Savior. You are the... It's, it's, it's finding names to describe who he is. I do have a little... Sometimes I believe our modern-day worship songs are more about us than they are about God. And... They might be true, but I don't necessarily think that that's worship. I think you're declaring truth about, you know, who I am and all these things. But when you really get into worship, you're not even in the picture anymore. It's 100% you gazing on his beauty, gazing on his amazingness. And you're just totally enthralled by him. So the incense is where we begin to worship his name. You would worship his name. This is an intimate time. You are singing your love to him, your devotion to him, your your awe of him with all of your heart. Psalm 95, verse 6 through 7 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. You know, worship actually derives from the word worth. It's worth-ship. You are basically describing how much God is worth. 
To worship is to, to assess the worth of God. Whenever you're worshiping, you are assessing the value and the worth of God in your life. If he's worth a lot, you'll worship a lot. If he's not worth that much to you, you're not going to worship him. It's science. Like it's just direct, the direct correlation to the worth that you believe that God is is how you're going to worship him. The woman with the alabaster box, she got so shunned because she was pouring out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet because she thought he was worth all of the expenses of the perfume. They said how much, I forget how much wages what she gave was. It was, it was a, year, year, a year wages? And she got ridiculed. The disciples were like, she's wasting money. She actually saw Jesus as having more worth than the disciples did, and he actually called him out for it. He says, y'all aren't doing this. She understands how worthy I am. Maybe y'all need to learn from her. It was worth it. She said, you are worth a year's worth of wages. I'm going to spend a year's worth of wages to wash your feet, to anoint your feet. That's why to this day she's the ultimate picture of worship because she poured out things that were actually valuable on the Lord. Guys, if we're going to think God is worth it but not give him anything of worth, it won't compute. It won't work. You will not, the worth of God will not manifest in your life because you actually aren't giving him anything of worth to you. We're still singing about this woman because that was true worship. It was about how worthy the Savior was to her. So that's when we get to that space. God is holy. We declare he's holy. He's righteous. He is peace to us. He's our counselor. He's our friend. He's our shepherd. He's our healer. He's our provider. He's our defender. He's always there for us. These are the things you declare when you're worshiping God. And in case you get discouraged and think, well, because a lot of times we think worship is emotional. And don't get me wrong, there is emotion attached. Like when you start thinking of God, I mean, you can't just be totally. But it's for those of you who don't necessarily see yourself as emotional people, be encouraged. If you just think, and that's another thing. A lot of times people who are not emotional would say, I'm very cerebral. I'm a big thinker. This is great for you. Because if all you got to do is think, just think about how much God is worth. Use the cerebral brain that you have and your non-emotional. I'm a thinker. I'm a deep thinker. You're even more qualified than anybody else. Some of us, sometimes we let, we let, we let the fact that we're cerebral being, I don't, I don't do. No, you, if, if what you're saying is true, you're actually the most qualified because you have a brain to actually think about how good and awesome God is. And if you just think about the goodness of God, I promise you, you will, it, you will get it. You will understand his wonder from a cerebral place. And you go, oh, my God, God is great. He is always there. No one else is always there. He's, he's, he provides for, man, he's doing this. He, I get it. You're thinking about it. Emotions happen first in your mind anyway. You got to think it before you feel it. Like, it starts in your head, and then the emotions follow. If this is not about emotions, but I'm just saying, I'm bringing it up because a lot of times we think if, if, I'm a, if I'm not a woman and if I'm not crying, then I'm not worshiping. It's like, no. That's not true, guys. It's not true. We can worship God just as powerfully. Sometimes there'll be tears. Sometimes they won't. Don't think that just because you don't have tears falling down your eyes that you're not worshiping God. This is about worth. It's about declaring how God is worth. You don't, you don't need. All you got to do is know how to declare the worth of God. And you'll be worshiping him. Don't count yourselves out. Lastly, once you got past the incense, this was the Ark of the Covenant. 
this was the place where God dwelt. Now, in the Old Testament, they could actually see God. He manifested himself as a cloud in the day, and then he was a fire at night. And in the presence of God, you could actually see him. And this is where only the priest could go. The priest that, that was elected, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go past the, he, this person. This is once you've gotten past the outer courts, you've given thanks. You've gone past the brazen altar where you saw the blood of the animals. You went past the laver where the washing was. You went past the candlesticks where the fire was. And then you went past the shoe bread and you had the bread. And then you went past the incense. And then you got past the veil to this Ark of the Covenant where you would worship God. And, and this is where you, the Bible says that Moses talked to God face to face. That's how real the communication was. It was like they said face-to-face -face as if one was talking to a friend. That's how real it was. And the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach God's presence, when you reach that place where you're so intimate that it's like God and you are talking face-to-face, -face, you have now reached the place that only priests can go. And I say this because priests had a very unique task. The priests stood and spoke on behalf of others who couldn't get to where he had gotten. When you reached the most intimate place of God, when you reach into his presence, when you finally get to his presence, you become that of a priest. And you now you get to intercede for other people. This is where you get to say, hey, my brother's having a really hard time right now. He's been trying to beat this addiction, and he just can't see. God, can you give him your grace? Can you send him the resources that he needs? Can you, can you give him the motivation to try another day? He, he's so discouraged. He's been trying to beat this for 15 years, God. God, th this is where you start going, Lord, I want to pray for, for my boss that she's going through a divorce and she's really taking it out on all of us and it's really making our job rough but God she's hurting right now I need you to heal her heart God I pray healing on her heart as she goes through this tough time God she feels betrayed she goes Lord Lord this is where you, Lord I want to pray for our nation there's so much division going on Lord they're they're so they're so puffed up and so confused God they're so hurt they're so scared God I need you to bring peace to their hearts Lord bring the church to repentance I need you to pray Lord, I, I want to pray for my pastor. I need, he's going through this. I need you to pray for him, Lord. I give him the wisdom. That, this is the part where you begin to pray for other people. This is where you really start to intercede. The Ark of the Covenant is where you intercede for others. The Ark of the Covenant is where you intercede for others. That's when you were in God's presence. 1 Timothy 2. 1 through 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. If you want to know where to start when you're praying for people, start praying for people who are in authority. I believe that's the first place. I know a lot of times we pray for the people who are closest to us. and I'm not saying you shouldn't, but even the scripture says, first of all, the first thing, Paul says to Timothy, first things, pray for the kings. Pray for those who are in authority. Pray for the president. Pray for the senate. Pray for, pray for your boss. Pray for the first responders. Pray for the policemen. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the coaches. Pray for those who have leadership positions over people because they actually can determine the climate of everybody else. So it's very strategic and wise to pray for the top because if the top is blessed, the rest will be blessed. If the head is blessed, the body will be blessed. If the roof is blessed, the house will be covered. So Peter is, Paul is saying pray for those who are in authority. Let that be first, and then you get to everybody else. But, but make a point to pray for your leader. I pray for my overseers. I pray for the pastors that I submit to and that I lead to because as long as they're covered and they're walking and hearing from God, every time I call them for advice, I can get the wisdom of God because they're healthy. I need to pray for the ones that I'm drawing from. Keep them full, God. Keep them sharp. 
Keep them sensitive to your voice because I'm calling them, asking them for help and advice and counsel. I need them to be full of you. I need their marriages to be great. I need for their staff to be cooperative and awesome so they're not stressed. So when I call them, they're full and they're good. Pray for your leaders. Don't tear them down. When you tear down your leaders, you're tearing down yourself. If your covering is messed up, you're messed up. Build them up. Protect them. Pray for your family. Pray for the lost. Pray for your spouse. Pray for those who are in need. Pray for the poor. So that's the model, guys. I've been praying like this. And it's, it, 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 it covers everything. I'm telling you, you will have a face-to-face experience. You will, you, the, the, the value of prayer and the enjoyment of it will increase. First thing, Thanksgiving. God, I thank you. Start listing stuff. Number two, the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the cross that has made it possible for me to stand here not condemned, but loved and accepted. The labor, Lord, I repent, cleanse me. There's some things in my life that are not the way they should be. I present it to you. Make it right. Father, wash me. Wash me with your blood. Wash me. Cleanse me. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my motives. Cleanse my attitude. Cleanse my behavior. I need the power of God now. I need the fire of the Holy Spirit to equip me for all that you call me to do. Give me your gifts, Holy Spirit. I need the gifts of the Spirit. I need the power of the Spirit. And then go to the Word of God. What is the Word of God saying to me? What am I reading today? Open up your scripture. Pull up something. Get a word from God. Get a word from God. Get your daily bread. After that, Lord, start to worship him. Now, this is not about what he's done. This is only about who he is. Talk about who he is. Talk about him. Assess his value in your life. Declare his worth in your life. And then after that, that's when you need to start praying for people. Pray for people besides yourself. That's it. Tabernacle prayer. If you want to read more on this, it's described in the Pray First book. I highly recommend that you all take the time to edit your prayer patterns and do something that, that is in Scripture. And I'm telling you, it, it's a blessing. It'll be a blessing to you. It'll be a blessing for the body of Christ. It'll be a blessing for the world. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your, your word. I thank you, God, for the pattern that you have shown in Scripture that gives us a guide on how to pray. Lord, a lot of us want to pray, but we don't really know how. Lord, and it can be overwhelming, God, and it can be, it can be discouraging, it can be embarrassing. God, so I thank you that you helped us today, Lord. You gave us help on how to pray, on how to approach your, your throne and to really draw from your presence in a way that's real, in a way that actually is effective and brings transformation into our lives and the lives of others who we love and who we care for. God, I pray, Lord, that we would start to practice this discipline and pray every day. And Lord, for those of us who need help, let them use this model. Let them try this for themselves and see what it does, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to end offering the gift of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus that makes it possible for us to pray to God the Father. Remember when I said that brazen altar, the blood? Everyone here has sinned before. We all have sin. And that sin has to be paid for in order for us to have a relationship with God. And the beauty of Jesus is he's the one who made that payment for your sins. He allowed his blood to be shed for your sins so that you could be forgiven and have the right to
to stand before God unashamed, to stand before God pure and holy, not because you've done everything right, but because someone else paid your price. Now, the thing about Jesus is, even though he's already died for you, the effects of his death in your life, it has to be acknowledged by you. You have to actually acknowledge that you believe that this was done. And you have to let the blood be applied to your life for you to experience the benefits of his sacrifice. So I'm going to ask us all to stand. And if you would like to receive that sacrifice and make it real for your life, I want to ask for you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just give God glory. He's so merciful. He's so patient. If you said yes to the Lord Jesus, we want to know about it. There's a couple ways you can let us know. You can come down when we dismiss. We have a prayer team that's here to pray for you. We have a team that's here to pray for whatever it is that you need. You can also send us a text to 77411. If you text belong, we actually have some resources we can send right to your phone that can help support you in your faith. Um, whether it's your first time saying yes to Jesus or you're ready to come back to him, we're here to support you. We also have next steps. That's after the second service today. It's around 1230 on the third floor. You can come and you can meet leadership and we can talk to you, let you know how to get more involved with the church. But yeah, we, we would love to connect with you so that you, we can uh, enjoy this, this faith walk together. The community of this church is, is really a blessing. Um, just seeing, just reminded of just how, how, how wonderful it is. I want to, y'all don't know this, I want to honor the Halversons and just the way y'all have shown the love of, I mean, I don't know, just y'all are a blessing. This community is a blessing. People are showing God's loves in, in ways that are blowing me away. This couple is an example of that. There's so many other examples in this church of people who are, are really being the body of Christ. Um, so please do not deprive yourself of this, of this blessing to have the community of Jesus, to have the body of Christ in your life. Get involved, whether here or someone, somewhere else. But why not here? I mean, you're here already. I'd love for y'all to get more involved with us. Um, if you would like to give your tithes and your offerings, uh, thank you in advance. You can give online. Or you can give in the back. Our finance team will be able to receive your offering. Um, and then lastly, uh, we'll be here tomorrow at 6 a.m. Um, you're here. To, you're welcome to join us. We're Monday through Friday, we're here at 6 to 7. And then 9 o'clock on Saturday, we're here praying. I'm going to dismiss this. Thank you all for being here. Father, thank you again for today. I pray a blessing over this whole room, every family that is represented. And, Lord, I pray that you would continue to minister to us and help our prayer lives to just get better and better and stronger and stronger and more real. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great day, y'all.